reading this morning is the third epistle written by John. And it's on page, well, the page number isn't on that page, but it's actually 1230. So John's third epistle, a very short one. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men, so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. I've much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. This is God's word. Test this to see. Are we good? Yeah. Can everybody hear me at the back and up top? Great. Well, good morning. It's great to be here at Grosvenor Road Baptist Church here this morning. I have very fond memories of here, considering um, my nanny first became a Christian here through John Samuel's preaching many, many years ago, Sue Leach. Um, and now she's probably looking down. Um, and so. Uh, this church means a lot to me. That's where Christianity first came into my family. And so it's a privilege to be able to stand up here this morning and share God's word with you. So we'll be looking at John's third epistle, probably often neglected as it's very short and towards the back of the Bible. Um, Revelation generally takes the big shopping at the very end. But we're going to look at third John this morning. Let's pray as we come to this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we have the privilege, Lord, to gather, Lord, as your people under your word. We pray, Father, as we 
look at this letter together. That, Father, we would not only be hearers, Father, but doers of your word as well. We thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On the 6th of October this year, my wife and I were in New York visiting my sister. And we achieved something that we've never done before. Most of you are going to find this underwhelming, so I'll just line it up that way when we talk about achievements. But if you have a Fitbit or an Apple Watch, this is likely something you'll be notified of. In one single day, we walked over 40,000 steps around Manhattan. That is roughly 28 kilometers. I felt pretty good about it. I mean, 40,000 steps in a single day, and health experts often say to us, you know, get at least 10,000 steps a day. I maybe do that twice at best in a week. But whether it's a walk in the park or a hike in the hills, why do I reference my recent walking statistics? Well, it's not to get you to go on a stroll or a walk after church today, this afternoon. It's to connect us with what John is concerned about here in this short letter to Gaius. John is concerned with how we walk. He expresses his desire is ultimately for us to walk in the truth, as is God's desire for us today to walk in the truth. Because you see, we live in a world that is full of deception, of lies, of misinformation, of half-truths. Every time we read an article or we watch the news or we take out our phone, the truth isn't necessarily always being packaged honestly. And we need clarification on what the truth is to calm our hearts and our minds in a world that is often chaotic. John has made it known in his prior epistle in 2 John that truth is that Jesus has come in the flesh and that genuine belief in Him leads to obedience to God's commands and love for God's people. So how does he begin this third epistle here? Well, he begins by noting his dear friend Gaius. Now, this is a brother in the faith whom he deeply loves. And Gaius was a common name now in the first century. But we see that this man is particularly close to John's heart. He was likely to be a member of this unnamed church here, which John had oversight. And in verse 2, John is saying to him, essentially, I hope things are going well for you in both body and in spirit. He then details that some other Christians in that church have testified to him of the faithfulness of Gaius to the truth. Because truth is not merely a reality to remain faithful to, but it is also something to be lived out. And John is overjoyed to hear that his spiritual children are walking in the truth, as he says in verse 4. He has no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Parents are overjoyed when kids reach certain milestones in life, whether that's first steps, whether that's starting school, whether that is graduating from college. John is overjoyed that his spiritual children are contending for and they're walking in the truth. And John is calling Christians as a whole to walk in the truth just as Gaius did. Because Christians are called to walk in the truth. Four times in four verses, we see John centering on the truth. He's drawing our attention to it. He's asking us to listen up. 
He's saying, what I'm writing here relates to the truth of the gospel and it working itself in the life of the believer. The truth that you have been set free from sin, you've been united to Christ and adopted into God's family. John is further concerned for the integrity of the truth. Truth is the anchor for the soul of the Christian that holds us against the sway of false teachers and attractive, unbiblical doctrines. And only does walking in the truth mean holding fast to sound biblical belief, but also walking in a way that is consistent with what we believe. You see, those who are not Christians in this world are swayed to and fro by the waters of this life. They're like jellyfish with the current. But Christians, we are to stand firm and walk in the truth, to follow in Christ's footsteps. And it's not easy. It's not easy always to walk in the truth, whether that is in the workplace, whether that is with our neighbors, wherever the context may be where we could face opposition. And we can face discouragements when we fall, when we slip, when we sin. But the encouragement here is to look to Christ, to look to those around us who God has given as examples, good examples, who walk in the truth to spur and encourage us on. John Stott, in his book, Spiritual Depression, expresses, if you feel that you have failed to walk in the truth, start walking now. Do not allow your past to define you. I am what I am by the grace of God. You see, when others around you walk in the truth, it encourages you to do likewise. John expresses in verse 3 how other believers are speaking of the life that Gaius was leading, and this was an encouragement to others. You see, all who love God's truth find great joy in seeing it lived out in the lives of others. We're not to be jealous of others when they're walking well in the truth. We are to push and spur one another on as brothers and sisters in Christ as we walk in God's ways. And not only does this glorify God, but it also brings joy into our hearts when we see men and women in the church walking in the truth. If you do not know the truth of the gospel this morning, my urge for you is that you don't let a day go by without investigating the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who claimed that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And someone making such amazing claims deserves our attention. Now, in the rest of this letter, as John follows on, I think he gives us almost practical implications of what it looks like to walk in the truth, and we see it through three men. He expands on Gaius as an individual, we meet Diotrephes, and we see Demetrius. So first we see Gaius again in verses 5 through 8, and what we see here is that walking in the truth centers on spreading the gospel. Walking in the truth centers on spreading the gospel. As he writes in verse 5, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love, 
you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men, so that we may work together for the truth. In verse 5, we get more insight into who Gaius is as an individual. He was a man who loved to show hospitality even towards strangers of the faith. And these strangers testified to Gaius' love to spread the gospel. He wanted to send them on their way as gospel ministers to walk in a manner worthy of God. See, the early church centered on missionary work and the spread of the gospel, and Gaius supported the work of itinerant Christian workers, these itinerant preachers who couldn't survive without the support of the church and the hospitality of others. They didn't seek to gain support of any shape from non-Christians, from pagans or the Gentiles, as John references in verse 7. Likely, this is John referring to these faithful gospel ministers didn't want to be accused of using their message for personal gain, as Paul was, for example, at Corinth. These men march out for the sake of the name, for the name of Christ. And what is the motivation for them to bear Christ's name? What is the motivation for them to bear Christ's name in the face of opposition? Is it fame? Is it wealth, health, popularity? No. The motivation of these men is to spread the good news. When we receive good news today, whether it be engagements, pregnancies, new homes, whatever it may be, we don't charge people before we share this news with them. We don't say, can you give me a fiver, please, before I tell you about this really good news? We are motivated to tell because love motivates us to share good news. These men bear Christ's name to share this good news with those around them. So why do you bear Christ's name this morning if you're a Christian? We are ambassadors for Christ to those around us. Christianity is, now, is not a religion of comfort. It never was, it never will be, because we work for a king. And we bear his name. Jesus laid down his life for our sake, so now we lay down our lives for his name's sake. Further in verse 8, we see we're called to provide hospitality towards those who work for the gospel. And doing so, we are partakers, we are partners in the same truth. We need to support faithful gospel ministers in our churches and those who are sent out on missions, whether in Ireland or whether abroad. Be that financially, prayerfully, in hospitality. Doctors may care for our bodies, but more importantly, those who give themselves to full-time ministry work help and cater for the very health of our souls. Each leader that you have here within Grosvenor labors in the gospel because they wish to see people walking in the truth. And they need our prayers and our encouragement as they labor. And there's no work that I appreciate more than those who are in full-time gospel ministry who give it over for the sake of the name. I think about those who are serving in capacity for Baptist missions at this time, and I think myself, how can I support, how can I encourage them today? An organization that we directly partner with as Baptist churches. For those who are working in France, in Spain, and Peru, how can I encourage them, how can I support them today?
And as mentioned already, Gaius is praised for his hospitality here, even to those who are strangers. Hospitality for gospel spread. When we share in each other's lives and our homes, we're working together for the truth. Our front doors need to be opened for gospel workers that we may encourage and spur them on as they continue to minister. And further, this does act as a gospel witness to those around us. Homes in recent years have often become private places where we go to escape the outside world, to enjoy our Netflix series, to enjoy our dinner, to get away from the hustle and bustle of life and relax. But Christians, on the other hand, we should be individuals who invite the outside world in to come and see truth lived out in the context of the home. And that can be a powerful witness to unbelievers around us when they see those who walk in the truth within our very homes. Walking in the truth focuses on the spread of the gospel. It doesn't focus on our desires. It doesn't focus on our ideals. Christ laid down his life for our sake, so now we lay down our lives for his sake. Next, we come across another character in this letter, Diotrephes, who is almost the opposite of walking in the truth. Uh, And I always like that contrast that you get throughout the letters in the New Testament. We've got positive examples and examples that we should definitely not follow suit. So what do we read about Diotrephes in verses 9 and 10? I, John, wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Walking in the truth leaves no room for self-love. Walking in the truth leaves no room for self-love. So what is Diotrephes doing here? Well, self-love has taken over. Diotrephes has resisted the apostles because of his own desire to be preeminent. Diotrephes, who loves to be first. He's self-absorbed. It's as if the first thing he does as he wakes up in the morning, he gets out of bed, he goes to the mirror, he looks at himself, and he falls in love with himself more every day as he looks at his reflection. I can't help thinking that as John was writing this, he's reflecting what Jesus said, that the last will be first and the first will be last. The atrophies would rather cut the head of Christ off the church and put himself on top. Further, John notes that this this self-love, this desire to be first, speaks against the truth as Diotrephes gossips maliciously about John and his fellow workers. Uh, The Greek here, I was fascinated to know, it, it refers to this action of water boiling up and throwing off bubbles. These bubbles of empty air. Diotrephes is engaging in useless and empty talk. He's engaging in useless and empty talk. 
These verses should remind us that the church, it's, it's not about personalities, it's not about celebrities, but it is about Christ alone. And walking in the truth should seek to root out this type of prideful and destructive leadership. Diotrephes denied the authority of the church and refused to even welcome believers into fellowship. His selfish ambition is like a flesh-eating bacteria that eats away at the church, bringing it to ruin. And John publicly rebukes this man by name, which shows that if such a leader were to arise in our context in church today, it would be right to do that also. He is authoritarian in his actions, Diotrephes. Rooting out such attitudes is for the health and the integrity of the truth within the church. Throughout history, we've seen the destructive nature of governments that have been led by one man. You can start listing all the dictators in your own head. These men love themselves and they love to be first, and the things that followed them were disaster and destruction. Diotrephes' example of leadership and his love for himself, it cost him the love of his brothers in Christ. And John has put us put him here to warn, of, warn us of his poor example, the opposite of walking in the truth. See, brothers and sisters, we live in a culture and a time where the world and the media tells us to love ourselves, to seek our truth, to seek our ambitions, to seek our desires. Me, 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 me. We live in a world that is constantly focused on catering to me. And ultimately, that is not the heart and desire of Christ. He who humbled himself and sought the good of others at the cost of his own life and worldly honor. We need to unhook ourselves from this weary worldview of self-love and putting yourself first. Because you and I, we are not enough. We can't hold the weight of the world on our own shoulders. And that's okay because Christ is enough. Walking in the truth calls us to love and serve one another. And Diotrephes' example is the kind of individual that hinders the walk of truth. We're to root, root out error that leads towards straying from the truth and to center ourselves on the truth itself as Jesus. Walking in the truth, my friends, it's not about self-love. It's about loving God and loving people. God comes first, we come last. And God gracefully then uses the church as an instrument to take the gospel to the nations. And may we as believers remove any hindrances, remove any barriers by becoming humble servants who walk in the truth. And finally, we see verses 11 through 12, walking in the truth seeks to imitate good. As John writes, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. 
Finally, John has swung back and given us another good example, an imitator of the truth. Demetrius, now, it's quite probable that he himself was the courier of this letter, the one delivering it. Who commends this man? Who authenticates his walk in the truth? Well, the local church commends him. The truth itself testifies to him. He's obedience. And John himself, an apostle, commends him. So we are to testify to the truth regardless of the repercussions that we may get from others. We don't testify about ourselves. We don't testify about our achievements, our boasts. Rather, we testify to the truth. Now, doing good here is, is referring to faithful living, a proper response to the gospel. And for example, when we face hard evils in the lives of others, even in the lives of Christians, we are to imitate good examples like Gaius and Demetrius. I was struck a couple of weeks ago when reading an article in regards to having tough conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ. And one writer, Samuel Say, has expressed, speaking the truth in love won't always spare us from angry re- reactions. But speak the truth in love anyway, primarily to maintain faithfulness to Christ, not your friend's faithfulness to you. We imitate these men for the sake of doing good. But how we love often to respond evil with evil. Someone says something bad about me, they hurt me physically. They comment something online about me. Our natural sinful state calls for retaliation. And we would even sometimes excuse ourselves saying it was called for. We know this very well as kids. Your sibling is there. Your sibling hurts you in some way. You get back at your sibling because that's what you want to do. And then your parents confront you. And then what do you say to your parents? Well, they had it coming. They asked for it. Why would we want to imitate evil as God's children? We were brought out of darkness to glorious light. So why would we desire to go back to the way things were? John is clear in verse 11. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Further, the suffering servant, our Messiah, Jesus, did not seek to repay evil with evil, but love and good. And if we try to imitate evil to solve evil, we have failed to trust in God's perfect justice that will restore and bring judgment at the right time. Christians, we must be faithful in doing good, despite what is done to us. We often need to show love to each other and encourage and spur one another on in the truth. Whether that is reminding ourselves to send that text to that individual or to call up that friend to see how they are, whether that's sharing a blog or a podcast to help encourage one another, meeting up for coffee to see how we're walking, encouraging each other to serve within church and to serve one another within our homes. Further, John speaks here to the importance of good models for imitation. 
You see, we don't merely learn in the abstract. Humans cannot help but imitate that which is around them. Years ago, my dad went out to the garden. He used to be really big on growing stuff in the back garden, onions, carrots, all kind of stuff. And then he stopped doing it, and all of his children were really disappointed when he stopped doing that because none of us got strawberries or onions or anything anymore. Years ago, he went out and he picked a bunch of strawberries from the garden, brought them inside, washed them, put them on the table. And so I, my niece is sitting across the table. So I pick up a strawberry, put it in my mouth, I bite down on it, and I just go, strawberries, yum, 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 yum. And then my niece, same thing, puts her hand out, into the bowl, grabs a strawberry, puts it in, hum. Strawberries, yum, 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 yum. Children cannot help but imitate. So I kept playing around with her then for the next 15 or 20 minutes, seeing how far she'd go with imitating me in the front. Silly faces and all that kind of stuff. We Christians are to imitate Christ. But also God has been gracious to give us examples for imitation within the local church. We must offer good models to ourselves, to the youth, to children within the church. And we do so, of course, by engaging in identifying leaders of good character who seek God first and not their own elevation. And no doubt to those of you who are parents, you want your kids to have good influences in life, good godly examples to look up to. You don't want them wasting their lives away online, on their phones, day in, day out. We need to be able to point and to seek men and women within the church who are good examples. And also, men and women, some of us need to step up within that church context to be examples to those who are younger in the faith and disciple them. The call is to walk in the truth, brothers and sisters. And God rejoices, and ultimately we all rejoice when we see people walking in the truth. Walking in truth, it centers in spreading the gospel. It seeks to root out this idea of putting yourself first, of self-love, and it seeks to imitate good. And this can act as a great witness to a broken and fading world. The truth that our Savior has come, that He has died, that He has risen, that He has opened the way back up for us to be reconciled to God, that He has redeemed us, is the truth that should spur us on and encourage us each morning that we wake. Before you take those first steps in the morning, before you walk, remind yourself of the very truth of Jesus Christ and what He has done on the cross in dying for our sins and bringing forgiveness. In every generation, there are people who are skeptical of the claims of Christianity. Jesus himself met opposition, and Jesus himself was the very embodiment of truth. Some embrace Christ, others they'll give up on him, others will mock him. But as C.H. Spurgeon wrote, 
Truth, the truth of Christ, must enter into our souls, penetrate and saturate it, or else it is of no value. Truth must enter into the soul, penetrate it and saturate it, or else it is of no value. So may we remind ourselves this morning and allow the truth of the gospel to penetrate and saturate our very souls as we continue to seek, to stand, and to serve for the truth. And when we fail to walk in the truth, when we mess up, when we slip up, remember your Savior is right by your side, telling you that His grace is sufficient in your weakness. Christ has revealed the truth of the gospel to us, so now we march on for His namesake. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Christ. We thank You, Lord, that He Himself, Lord, is the very truth itself. We pray, Lord, that we would reflect Jesus, Lord, in all of our lives, that we would continue to walk, Lord, in Your ways. Lord, loving Your commands, loving You, and loving Your people. Lord, we thank You for John's example, Lord, to Gaius, Lord. And we pray it would encourage and spur us on, Lord, to walk in the truth, Lord, in our daily lives. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.